Let's pray. Father, we are here this morning to hear from you from your word. Lord, a country needs you. And Lord, we look at everything that's happening in it. We look at everything that's happening in our lives. And it can, it can cause us to doubt, Father. Lord, this morning we ask you to be with us. Lord, I ask you to be with me, knowing that I have nothing in myself. Father, help us to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. At last month's youth service, I spoke about passion and how we maintain passion and, and some of the things that lead to decreased passion, things that get in the way of us having passion, whether it's unconfessed sin or, or some false truth that we've been allowing to occupy our mind and our, and our passions. And uh, something else that I thought about that can really hinder passion, and I know it has in my life, is doubt. Um, we may want to be passionate about God, but we just, there are things that nag at us that we aren't sure of that cause us to doubt, and so we don't want to throw ourselves into it completely. And um, that's, what, that's what we're talking about this morning. If you see in the skit all those situations that, that can lead people to doubt and turn away from God and say, God isn't there. Um, and if that's you this morning, I hope that you'll be blessed. We're looking in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. And in this passage, Jesus has just come off of the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's been glorified before three of his disciples. He took his three favorite disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and now he's come back down. And he's running into a situation where the nine disciples that were left have been challenged and failed. And I love this passage. And because the passage is not about the disciples, it's about the man who had come to them and they could not help him. And I love this passage because of this man's honesty. Mark 9, verses 14 through 29. When they came back, being Jesus and the disciples, to the disciples, the nine that were left behind, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit, but which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, This is Jesus. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? 
And he said, from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So Jesus meets this situation. His disciples have been challenged, and they have failed, which is odd. Because if we turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 13... Sorry, Mark chapter 6, verse 7... It says, and he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. And in verse 13, it says, and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. The disciples had had success. And so the people had heard about it and they said, okay, these men can do it. They are the followers of this Jesus dude. Uh, we are going to bring our sick to him, our possessed people, and they will be able to cast it out. But what happened? The disciples were unable to cast it out. Why? They had gotten proud. They had seen the success that they had already had, and they had begun to rely on their own gifts. They'd begun to rely on their own strength. And when it came time to actually serve God... And to serve other people again, they tried to do it in their own strength and they failed miserably. And what did this lead to? This led to doubt. This led to doubt in the man who had brought the son. This led to doubt in the crowd. All of these people are watching. They're waiting for these men to perform and do something great. And they failed. And these and the people are like, why can't you do it? And this happens to us, does it not? We, we do some good. We do good things for God, and we see him do great things in people's lives, and we can think, uh, oh, wow, look what I did. I'm pretty cool. Oh, I, look at that person I helped. Oh, I'm so great. And we get proud, and we think we can live without Jesus. We no longer need his authority in our life. That was the only way the disciples could cast out, through the authority that Jesus gave them. And when they tried to cast it out through their own authority, they failed. And the same thing happens to us. And we try to do things, and and then we do it in our strength, and we fail, and then people look at us and say, you're a Christian? I saw this manifest itself on the father-son retreat. Uh... We had discussions around the campfire, and one of the boys said, 
Why is Christianity so jacked up? Why is Christianity so messed up? Why, why, are we, why are there so many hundreds of denominations and why are Christians always fighting with each other? And so that it casts that seed of doubt in the mind of the people who are watching. And they say, you know, your, your words aren't lining up with your practice. And when the people see that, it causes, it causes them to doubt. Author Brennan Manning, he has a famous quote. And those of you who listened to DC Talk in the 90s know what I'm talking about. He says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And that is what the disciples are experiencing right now in this situation. So I ask you, what areas are there in your life? Uh, what areas in your life that you are living in your own strength, ignoring the wisdom of God and saying, ah, I know what God says, but I think I got this my own way. That people look at and say, I don't, I don't need to be like that if that's what a Christian is. We don't give the real thought to humility and letting Christ live through us because we want to hold on to our own life. Think about it. As we move down to verse 17, we see the response of the man who brought the child. It says, one of, one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought, you my, I brought you my son, possessed with the spirit, which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, he foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth, and he stiffens out. He's giving details. He's explaining the type of situation that he's in. But he says to Jesus, I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And I think the words really reveal the true heart of this man who has brought this child. He says, I told them to cast it out. I did not ask them. I did not request it of them. I told them to cast it out. And to me, this reveals in this man a heart that is already stubborn. He wants to snap his fingers and many of us are the same. We want to snap our fingers and we want God to do exactly what we want him to do right away, right now, and it should be done. And if it doesn't happen right away, then I won't believe in you. Because I told you to do it. And you didn't do it. So now I doubt you. But Jesus responds to this statement. He can sense the unbelief in this man. And he, Jesus says, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Wow. Jesus is frustrated. He's saying, How much more do I have to do for you before you will believe in me? If we read earlier passages in this book of Mark, we see the miracles that Jesus has done, the healings that he has done, the demons that he has cast out, the, the diseases that he has healed, the walking on water, the calming of the storm, feeding of thousands. And yet, 
he knows that the people still don't believe. The people still want the show. He's got to continually keep performing in order for them to be pleased with him. Otherwise, they won't believe. They want the show. They don't want the person running the show. Parents, do you ever feel this way with your children? Do you ever feel, how much more do I have to do for you before you trust me? Pastors, we can feel this way. As a youth pastor, I feel this way many times. What more do I have to do before you believe me, before you trust me? How much harder do I have to work? How much more of my life do I have to put into it? Boyfriends, I know you feel this with your girlfriends. Baby, how much more? What else do you want me to do? I can't do anything to please you. Nothing I do seems to please you. I don't get it. I'm just glad this passage is in the Bible. Because if Jesus is allowed to be frustrated and it's not a sin, right? Then I think it's okay for me to be frustrated once in a while, right? Parents, you ever get frustrated? I'm, I'm allowing you to be frustrated, okay? The question is, how do we handle our frustration? Do we... We, we try to handle it like Jesus did. Jesus maintained his interaction because he loved these people, even though they frustrated him. So when you're frustrated with someone, we don't shut them out. We don't cut them off. We don't say, well, I've had enough of you. I'm not going to help you anymore. We reach out and interact with them. So, Jesus is going to interact. And the way Jesus interacts is with questions. Jesus asks great questions that get to the heart of the matter. So they brought the boy to Jesus. And Jesus asks him, he asks his father, how long has this been happening to him? It seems like a very innocent question. A question like Jesus is just trying to get... a a grasp of the situation and what's really going on. But I believe Jesus is digging into this man's heart with this question. He asked him, how long has this been happening? Did it really matter to Jesus how long it's been happening? If the man had said, oh, it's only been going on for a couple of months, Jesus would say, oh, I can handle that. But if it was for a few years, no, I, I don't think I can handle a few years. That's been going on too long. I won't be able to help you. Of course not. Jesus is God. Jesus is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He could cast out a demon whenever, no matter how long it's been there, no matter how powerful it is. So what was the purpose of this question? The purpose of this question is to bring the true condition of the man to the surface for this man's benefit, not for Jesus' benefit, not for Jesus to gather information. The main purpose is for this man's benefit because the question is how long? And for many of us, the situation that we are in, if it's been going on for a long period of time, the length of the tribulation is what causes us to doubt. 
Many of us can withstand anything for a few weeks. But if it goes on for years and years and years, we say, God, where are you? Jesus is getting to this man's true heart condition. And we see his condition come out in his response. He says, from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. So this man says, this has been going on since the boy was very young. We don't know how old he was, but this has been happening to him for a long time, trying to kill him, and it's been killing his father to watch his son go through this. And it brings him to this point to say, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. He's, he's come to two conclusions. He says, if you can. This shows what he believes about Jesus. If you can means I'm not sure you can. I'm not sure you have the power or the ability to do this. So what he's saying, Jesus, you are not almighty. I do not know. And then he says, take pity on us and help us. He doubted the goodness of God. So the length of his trial caused him to doubt the goodness of God and the power of God. And this is what can happen in our lives. Either Jesus is a nice hippie who wants us to be nice to each other, but he doesn't really have any power to be able to change anything. Or he's God. We'll we'll say he's God and he's powerful, but he's not very kind. He's God. He's got a lot going on. And he just doesn't really care about us enough to want to do anything about it. You know, he, he may have thrown us some scraps off the table before and been good to us in some ways, but right now he just doesn't feel like helping us. He doesn't really want to be kind to us. And I'm not really sure that he cares. And through this question, Jesus has broken down the barriers that this man has. He's exposed how this man really thinks so that the man can be honest with himself to realize this is what he really believes. I really don't believe, I don't know if you have the power and I don't know if you're good. Do you want to serve a God that doesn't have power? Or do you want to serve a God that has power but isn't good? I don't think any of us want to do that. Jesus is going to show this man that he's both. He is both all-powerful and he is kind and good and is always willing to help his children. But Jesus doesn't stop with this question. He goes deeper. And he always does, right? And he always goes to the most painful place. He wants to get to the root, to the heart of the problem. 
What is Jesus' response to this man's statement, doubting his goodness and his power? Basically, doubting that Jesus is God. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Here's another reason people end up doubting God. Inaccurate theology. Because people will take this verse and say that Jesus is saying, as long as you believe hard enough, you'll be able to get whatever you want. Because on the surface, we can read it like that and say, oh, anything is possible to him who believes. Oh, okay, if I believe, if I just believe, and I don't know what, if I just believe that I can get whatever I want, if I believe hard enough, all things are possible. So I can go jump off of this building, and if I believe hard enough, I will fly from here to Miami to go shopping. How many of you have that much faith? Right, okay. I'd like to take some of those preachers on TV and tell them to try to do it. Anyway, um, <laughs> but the problem with this is that it makes everything very man-centered. It makes it how, it makes our abilities the center of the problem. Jesus is not saying if you believe hard enough, you get what you want. Jesus is challenging this man. He's challenging what the man believes and what we believe about him, about who he is. Because if you notice the question, the question is, if you can, Jesus referring to himself. So the belief that Jesus is asking for is in regards to himself. What he's saying is, all things are possible to him who believes I can. To him who believes that I am. That I am God, that I am powerful, that I am good. This is the heart of the matter that the man, that Jesus wants this man to face. Because if you believe that Jesus is God and that Jesus is all-powerful and that Jesus is good and that Jesus can do anything, yes, all things are possible through Jesus. Not through me and how much I believe. And so people get disappointed and they say, well, I believed really hard for this, but it didn't happen. I named it and claimed it, but it didn't happen. And then we say, God, where were you? But it was inaccurate theology. And this is what Jesus wants this man to face. And oh, does he face it? We see his response. This is the climax of the whole passage. Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. This man, being broken down by Jesus' questions, forced to face the truth of his heart's condition, desperate for relief from the pain that has plagued him for years, but still unsure 
of how this could possibly turn out for good, cries out, I do believe, help my unbelief. He's finally come to know that being authentic and honest with God is better than covering up his pain through pride and silence and stubbornness. He's not faking it anymore. He knows he's not okay, and he knows he needs Jesus, the Almighty God, to fix it. He's saying, I know I should believe. I want to believe. And maybe you say the same thing. I know I should believe. I want to believe. There are parts of me that do believe. But the doubt and the pain and uncertainty just make it hard to fully commit. But we cry out to Jesus in this honesty, and he starts us on this process of greater faith. That's what the man's asking for. He's saying, help me. Help my unbelief. And the help is a process. Greater faith and trust in Jesus. And in this story, Jesus responds. Jesus heals. Jesus casts out the demon. But our lives may be different. There may be a different process that Jesus has for you in your doubt, in your uncertainty. But what we need to do is we need to surrender and be authentic and stop playing the game. Stop coming to church looking good on the outside but wrecked on the inside and no one knows about it, not even God. Even though God knows but we haven't told him. We let Jesus bring us through the process of strengthening our faith. We need to stop pretending that we're perfect. We need to stop pretending that our family is perfect. You know, we know you're messed up. You can admit it. You think you hide it, but you don't. It all comes out. How many of us came to church this morning pretending everything is all right in our lives, but we refuse to talk to God about it? We've tried to live without God for so long. We've tried to use our own wisdom or the world's wisdom or Oprah's wisdom. For so long, and now it's just hard to let, to let him handle it, to be honest with him. Perhaps you could relate to one of the scenarios in the skit. Maybe you've been touched personally by crime. Financial worries have overtaken you. Relationships have broken down. And maybe you stopped believing in God's power. Or maybe you've stopped believing that He is good. You might still say all the right things, knowing that you should. But deep down, you don't really believe that. This morning, I want us to take the opportunity to be like this man in the book of Mark. To let Jesus tear down all of our walls. To, be, to confess to him 
our doubt, our insecurity, to be honest with Him, to repent, and come back to believing that all things are possible for us because we believe that God is able to do anything, that He is still good. So this morning, I want you to think about the ways that you have doubted His power or His goodness. And we are going to sing about who He is and what He has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning to to enter our hearts, to expose our hearts, to help us to be real with you and to come to you in all honesty with all of our doubt, knowing that you can take it, that you can handle it, so that we can be authentic people to take, to take you to the world and let them see us and not doubt because of us. Lord, we ask you to strengthen us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.